Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm so pleased to be here. Um, thanks to Scott for the warm invitation. Um, it is my first time in Memphis, and so I'm very glad to be here. And this is St. Patrick's Day, or tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. So it's already St. Patrick's Day in Australia, I think. So <laughs> we can say that somewhere it is. Um, and it's also time of war, of course. I know that you've been checking the headlines and keeping an eye on what's been there. I'm sure some of you know some people there and have concerns. It's a time of possible dialogues. I'm checking the news for those two and thinking, are they going to hold water? Please God, they will hold enough water to the next round. Peace talks only need to last till the next round. They don't have to solve everything, but they can just bring us onto a next step. So please God, something will come out. Um, and it's also a time of continuing concern about climate change. And so with all of these, how do we hold ourselves together? Um, and words have work to do. Words can hold us together in order to move us into the question of action and to the possibility of collaboration and how we work well together with each other for the possibility of action. And I want to speak today about vocation. I don't mean vocation to joining a convent or a monastery. You are safe. Your spouse is safe. There is no surreptitious um, recruitment happening. Vocation comes from vocare in Latin, meaning voice. Vocal is the same root of that. So to know your vocation is to know your voice, which is more than just being able to say a word. It's knowing what you want to say. It's knowing what words are saying in you and what saving words are saying in you. So we're going to think about that today with the help of some old Irish poetry, St. Patrick, a bit of etymology, a little reflection on the gospel that Scott just read. And all of this is hoping to find a voice that might lead us to something called reconciliation. So before thinking about St. Patrick, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about his life, I want to mention the song from the seventh century, uh, uh, which is what, 1400 years ago. This is a piece called the Song of Amergen which is a, a saga written about um, a particular battle that had happened in Ireland a thousand years before that even. And this particular song, this particular uh, poem was written in the, 12th, in the 7th century and it's translated into English by Douglas Hyde. And um, the song of Amergen. Amergen was a warrior. And this is what he says. I am a stag of seven times. I am a flood across a plain. I am a wind on a deep lake. I am a tear the sun lets fall. I am a hawk above the cliff. I am a thorn beneath the nail. I am a wonder among flowers. I am a wizard, but who, who but I sets the cool head aflame with smoke? And there's more. I am the wind which breathes upon the sea. I am the wave of the ocean, the murmur of the billows, the ox of the seven combats, the vulture upon the rocks, the beam of the sun, the fairest of plants, the wild boar in valor, 
I am a salmon in the water, a lake in the plain. I am a word of science. I am the point of the lance of the battle. I am the God who created in the head the fire. Who is it who throws light into the meeting on the mountain? Who announces the ages of the moon? Who teaches the place where couches the sun? It's the most extraordinary declaration. Who's speaking? <laughs> Does he think he has created the world? What voice is this? And what an interesting observation to hear from somebody who's been credited as some kind of warrior from about 3,000 years ago. This is the, the voice is set about 3,000 years ago. The poem itself is 1,400 years old. And one of the interesting things that I think is worthwhile noticing in this poem is the observation of the world in it. The stag, the salmon, the lake, the water, the, the, the point of the spear, the fire. And to look around is to see the basic spirituality of the place. There is no such thing as a disembodied spirituality. Spirituality is always for the purpose of life. Um, and any, any imagination that sees spirituality as separate from food, separate from water, separate from touch, separate from these needs that we know are part of us, is a spirituality that will fail. There's nothing metaphysical about the stance of the speaker in this poem. It's entirely based on what will kill you and what might keep you alive. And that, I think, is something to remember in all authentic spirituality. Reconciliation is on the nature of the quality of survival. Reconciliation and peace is about saying, let's keep each other alive and hopefully not just barely surviving. St. Patrick um, lived in the 5th century, the 400s. He might have died in 460 or 491. It's hard to know. Historians place it at different times. He was not Irish. He was kidnapped. I'll go into his story in a little while. He was brought to Ireland. But he wrote a thing called The Confession. It's about six pages long. You can find it. I'll tell you where you can find it. It's beautiful to read. And in it, he has a prayer. And this is an authentic prayer from this person called Patrick. We don't know a huge amount about him. The snake stuff is made up. But what we do know <laughs> is about kidnapping as well as uh, this particular prayer. It's called the Lorica. It means the breastplate. And for him, a prayer was something to put over your chest to keep your heart safe. Beautiful. And so you might know some of this. I arise today through the strength of heaven, light of sun, radiance of moon, splendor of fire, speed of lightning, swiftness of wind, depth of the sea, stability of earth, firmness of rock. How beautiful those words. What I want to say is look once again at the observation of the world. Sun, moon, fire, lightning, wind, sea, earth, rock. Amazing presence in the place where you are. This is a poetry and prayer that pays attention to the world and that honors the world and knows that the world isn't necessarily always pretty. <laughs> fire and lightning and, and wind can be deadly, of course, you know this. And so you see somehow this strange collaboration, not collaboration, this strange um, overlap between the Song of Amergen and the Breastplate of St. Patrick in terms of the observation of the natural world. And then Patrick goes on 
to call on power to help him. I bind to myself today the power of God to guide me, the might of God to uphold me, the wisdom of God to teach me, the eye of God to watch me, the ear of God to hear me, the word of God to give me speech, the hand of God to protect me, the way of God to prevent me. He doesn't go on to the liver or anything else or the stomach of God. He keeps all those things out. But again, he's thinking about God in the way that we only know how to think about what it means to be alive, which is in the body. So often we try to imagine ourselves into the abstract imagination of a an unbodied God. And this will fail us because we are here in time in body. And therefore, I think that is the only way to try to imagine the event of God. And then he, he calls on protection. Christ protect me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wound. Amazing. He was so present to threat. And I'm going to read this next part in Irish because I think you'll know it in English. It's a very well-known piece in a hymn. Um, Christ be with me, Christ before me. But listen to it in Irish. Christ lom, Christ roam, Christ am Christ the stegonam, Christ fum, Christ os mechion, Christ am love yes, Christ am love chle, Christ am leadum, Christ am chasavdom, Christ the Greek at dinner tag queen of orum, Christ am male at dinner a laurinorum, Christ am not soul at erkanorum, Christ am not close at erstenlum. Christ be with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left. There's a part here that isn't translated in other parts. Christ in the fort, in the chariot seat, in the mighty stern. Christ in the heart of everyone who speaks, thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me. Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me and in the ear of everyone that hears me. Again, paying attention to the concrete reality about what it means to be in a body. Speaking about vocation and voice, and that too is in the body. <laughs> it comes from the body. It's not abstract. We are not a people who have a soul and a body. Somehow we are both, and both are held together. In Patrick's confession, if you go to confessio.ie, you can read the whole thing in Latin if you choose, but also in English. Um, it's in Irish there too, and French, and German, and Portuguese, and Spanish. And I think somebody's translated it recently into Turkish. So if any of those languages appeal to you, you can read. It's only six pages, his confession. But this is how he starts off. My name is Patrick. I am a sinner, a simple country person, and the least of all believers. I was looked down upon by many. My father was Calpurnius. He was a deacon. His father was Potius, a priest who lived at Benavem Taboniae. So it's somewhere in the north of England, probably. Northumberland, if any of you know that part of the north of England. Um, but that town, Bavanium Taborne, is not known. It's not in any of the other records. And so really, his document is a historical document about a place. But listen to, I am a sinner, a simple country person, the least of all believers, looked down upon by many. Over and over again, you see Patrick as somebody who is profoundly aware of how he hasn't done very well at education. He keeps on feeling like that he has failed. He feel he's possessed by extraordinary self-consciousness. Um, in the hotel this morning, I was talking to a person. I was having some tea, and um, she was saying, I've got dyslexia. I wonder if he did. I wonder if that was something for him. He, he, the whole way throughout the six pages of his confession, you hear in him a sense to say, 
I'm not very good at this. I'm not great at words. I keep on failing. And that, I think, is a really important thing to know about him. Um, he was kidnapped at about the age of 16 and brought to Ireland. Um, and he was put tending sheep in a field. And he said there his devotion began to grow. He wasn't particularly holy at the age of 16, which of us are. Um, and he, uh, well, maybe you were. <laughs> so I wasn't, even though I share his name. Um, he, uh, he says that he began to pray while he was in captivity. Who wouldn't? He was trafficked. He says, up to 100 prayers a day. How beautiful. The specificity of that always strikes me in his poetry. Up to 100 prayers. And he began to depend on this only thing he could depend on. He had to learn a new language in order to be able to negotiate any kind of concessions to where he was living. Six years, six long years, my God. And he was always a dreamer. And he continued to have these dreams. And in one of his dreams, he dreamt a way where he might be able to escape. And he thought, I'm going to see if it works. And it did. He dreamt of going to a particular place, finding a boat, and getting on that boat and making its, its way back to safety. Unfortunately, that boat crashed and landed somewhere, possibly France. And he was stranded there with some others. And this is all in his confession. It's quite extraordinary. And then eventually, he made his way back to England back to his parents. They were relieved, of course. They assumed he was dead. And what's strange is that his dream continued. This voice in him, remember vocation? He kept on paying attention to this voice. And I'll read. This is what would happen in the, in the dream. Somebody would come with a letter. And in the letter was the voice of the Irish people. They called out, we beg you, holy boy, to come and walk again among us. Holy boy. His dreams called him something that he didn't call himself. I am the least among believers, he calls himself. But his dream, this deeper voice, calls himself something that he had to live into. It's quite an extraordinary thing. He does train, probably somewhere in mainland Europe. His, his theology is very Latin in a certain sense, um, very creedal in, in a particularly Latin way. And then he goes back to Ireland. And he spends the rest of his life there, dying either in 461 or 491. It's confusing to know which one. And he had his trolls. He had his opposition. At one point, he'd confessed to somebody. And 30 years later, the story about what he'd confessed in confession was still being raised in tabloid against him. We think that Twitter is where cancelling happens. Twitter and cancelling is just the latest version of some of the worst things that the human condition can do to us. Twitter is great, too, at other times. But it can be, it's just a way to give voice to something in us that will fail us at times. And these ways within which he was being undone and the self-consciousness that, that he carried with him continued to be with him right the way throughout his life. The text that Scott read today um, is of the calling of the followers of Jesus, a noble calling. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead. But pay attention to what happens in that text, which is to say to go into homes, to share food, to be with people at their tables, to be conscious of what concerns them, to tend where you can tend. It is saying pay attention to the physical reality of people. Over and over again, what holds us together is the body and not just your body not just the body of people you love, but the body of everybody. And that is a way within which vocation, within which call, is never a solitary hero's journey. This isn't about Frodo venturing into Mordor alone, because even he doesn't do that. He has Sam. 
all of these characters are there because of some kind of support. There's a sense of abundance in the way that Jesus sends these characters out in pairs. He sends them out in community, and he even says, it won't always work out. Find a way not to let that stick to you. What amazing advice to give. Wouldn't we all hope that we could have heard and received and taken that advice at different times of our life when some kind of criticism stuck to you? That phrase, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In Irish, the word for laborers used is metal. And metal is a beautiful word, and you get the same kind of word in languages all across Europe and in North America too. It's not just about laboring, maybe co-laboring or community laboring is the way. Metal is the word in Irish for what happens when, amongst a community of farmers, one farming family is in, um, is in grief and everybody pitches in and harvests their land for them and supports them. And the person's never allowed payback. All the person has to do is to hold a meal of thanks where they share some bread. And in, what's extraordinary is that one of the things that's happening there is that you're not saying, well, we pity you. You're actually saying, you are our host. There is a way within which both dignity and provision are provided. And the person becomes the host of a party. And then people are like, thank you for the party. Thank you for saving our family during the harvest. There's this beautiful reciprocation. So the harvest is plentiful, but the metal is few. How is it that we can turn with physicality to the bodies of each other and pay attention in this? I am the wind of seven climates. I am the stag upon the hill. I am the loaf of bread in the freezer. I am the lasagna baked. I am the hand that said, I'll help. I am the person that says, I look after that for you. All of these ways within which these ancient poetries, these ancient prayers can be present in the everyday here. I am the peace negotiation. I am the concession. I am finally laying down pride about a past that never existed in the name of making sure fewer people are killed today in the name of war. These are the kinds of concessions we need, from the small to the large to the enormous. The cost of receiving all of this is the possibility of considering ourselves to be in relation to each other. And that is a high cost because we are often people who wish to be alone for understandable reasons, private reasons, all kinds of reasons. But these texts, Patrick's story, the Song of Amrogen, the text that we see here um, of Jesus calling his friends to go out and be agents of good news in the, in the embodied everyday of life. These things say, you need to know how to both give and receive. And that requires knowing what it's like to be in community. That is perhaps what we call God. God perhaps is made and made and made, light from light, God from God, in moments of great generosity where somebody says, I'll cook twice as much tonight in order to put that in the freezer of my neighbor tomorrow. You've done that, I know, and you've received that, I know too. This kind of laboring, co-laboring is for the benefit of everyone. It asks us to pay attention to the everyday. I saw a photograph the other day of a man feeding cats, stray cats, in Kiev, because he wanted to give. It isn't just about, what are you doing that for? What's the point of that? It's saying, the point of it is the point of it. It is to tend. It is to show that you might have taken my safety from me, but you will not take my dignity as long as there's bones in me. I will do what I love. 
other people are translating poetry from Ukrainian into English or from English into Ukrainian as a way of saying, this is what I'm made for. This is voice. Voice is not just survival. Voice is a way of being present. And what we hear in this over and over again is that vocation sometimes comes through these calls. It's a magnificent hero's call that you see with these fellows who are the friends of Jesus. But other times you see it in the crisis of Patrick. You too have known a situation where, like you'd hear in Al-Anon, that you're not able to change what's in front of you. So therefore you have to learn to adapt. That too is a kind of a call not into any great hero's journey. I don't want to elevate anything to say there's great meaning in it. But what I do know is that there might be the attempt, the hope, to try to put voice in it, to try to say, I can't change this, and it feels like choice has been taken from me. What does it mean to have voice in this here and now? Whatever that is, a limitation, something that can't happen, some kind of moment that you thought would happen but isn't, and how can I find authenticity and generosity in that moment? And the deepest senses of inadequacy will always be with you. That's okay. Patrick continued to think he was a fool. It didn't matter. Despite his story about himself, his dreams told him a story about a different kind of person he could be. And somehow, that sense of inadequacy is also perhaps the sight of your deepest voice. And your voice will always call you into vocation, into community, an unexpected community, perhaps. And that vocation is always a call to the earth the stag, the deer, the grasses, the hills, the waves, the fridge backed with food, the card written, the text message, the phone picked up. All of these things are of the quality of what we know is to respond to what is most in need of us, which is community, which is support, which is love, which is art, which is a way of saying we are not just here to barely survive. We are here in what um, Emily Dickinson called finite infinitude, somehow to hold both of those within us. We know we'll die, and we know we touch time also, to hold those things together and make sandwiches for each other, make peace deals with each other. This is the deepest vocation in all of us, and this, in remembering Patrick, a man who thought he was a fool, is what we're called to do, to remember that even in ways where we are fools, to pay attention to here is how I can tend to somebody else with a sandwich, with a text message, with a concession, with the possibility of communication, with using the deepest voice in me to reach the deepest voice of someone else and shaping words that might save us. In Irish, we don't say the word of God when we finish something. We say the verb of God. And may there be a verb of God made among us in all the work we do. Amen. The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.